0: Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. This morning we're going we're gonna to wrap up our series on essentials. We've been looking at some of the essential building blocks of who we are as a church here at River Life, that uh, who we are, we believe call, God has called us to be, um, those things that become kind of how we identify ourselves. And as I was thinking about today, as we look at this whole idea of being an empowered people, you know, I've just been reflecting on the season that we've just come through as a church with, you know, just a whole lot of good God stuff happening, right? Uh, if you haven't been at all of the services and events, you know, let me fill you in on the secret. God's moving. God's stirring. People are meeting him for the first time. People's lives are being transformed. People are being healed and set free and delivered. It's just all happening. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. Yeah, it's all going on. But, you know, I, I remember uh, just one moment in, uh, in our Convergence conference where I was just sitting you know, in one of the seats and just watching what God was doing. And I kind of got a little bit overwhelmed. There was the good overwhelmed where I cried a lot, but that hopefully won't happen this morning. But I kind of got a little bit overwhelmed just with the scope of what God was doing. And I kind of thought, wow, God, I, I don't know what to do in this place. I don't know how to partner with you. I, I just don't know. I felt quite overwhelmed by it, and to a certain extent, kind of a little bit, kind of disempowered or unempowered. I didn't know, God. I know you're calling us to be in this place, but I don't know what to do with that. And I kind of, as um, been reflecting on that. You know, there's there's situations and times where we feel like that, right? We're like, we know stuff's happening, but we just don't know what to do, and you kind of feel powerless to step into a situation. We um, In our Going Deeper podcast this week, we had Robin Robertson in, which is just a pleasure to chat with her. And if you you haven't heard that, make sure you get the podcast and have a listen. She's just amazing, hearing what uh, God's just using her to do around the world. Um, But she was just talking about just the the sheer scale of need around the world, of just what is going on. And I know as, as you see that, I mean, as I just scroll through Facebook and people are live streaming natural disasters around the world, I'm like, God, what do we do? It's all just a bit much. It makes me just kind of want to think just about my quarter acre and my workplace and my workspace and my family and kind of go, this is all too much, I can't handle it, I'm just going to shut it down to about here because i fool myself and think I can even control that. (laughs) But there's a sense that I feel like I can control that. I feel empowered to look after that. Uh, I don't know how well the kids think that I can do that, but they're all in the front row today, so I have to be careful about what I say. (laughs) But there's this sense that I just, I don't know what I can do. And when, I imagine, if, if we kind of really sit and think about it and we be really honest with ourselves, when we hear stuff come from up here on the, in the pulpit on the stage, we hear things like we want to pastor our city, we want to transform our city. It's like, like how? <laughs> like there's about seven or 800 of us in the room this morning. There's 2.4 million or so in Brisbane last count. Like you've got a lot of people to pastor each. Like no, no, just you kind of think, oh, I don't know how we do that. That's a bit much. Or when we say we're, we're, we're called to to bring healing to people's lives, to bodies and hearts and minds, I'm like, I am terrible at that. I'm bad at healing. I don't have a medical degree. I just, I don't, just, I get this sense that I, I just don't feel like I can do that. And I wonder if a lot of the stuff we talk about here, we all go, yes, or some of us go, yes, yes, but inside we're going, how, why? That's way too scary. Do you ever get that feeling? Maybe the person beside you gets that feeling. Maybe you can answer on their behalf because you don't want to throw yourself under the bus, right? It's a little bit intense. So what do we do with that, right? What do we do? How do How do we navigate that? How do we manage that? Because it's easy to say we are a family, we embrace the Father's presence, we're empowered to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom, like that's, we can just kind of riff that off. It's been six years or so we've been pressing into this, but when we start to stop and think about our place in that, our role and responsibility in that, it's like, whew, I'm just trying to make ends meet right now, <laughs> I'm just getting out of bed to win some days. Is that just me? (laughs) Those of you who are morning people, you need to pray for us. People who are morning people, it's something that you've got to give. But I think where the difficulty comes, and this is what we've been doing this series for, is that as we stop and unpack some of these terms, hopefully what it has been for you is an invitation into how we step into these different ideas. What it looks like to be family, what God's presence is all about for us in a practical sense. Today, what it looks like to be empowered as a people of God. Because I think as we break it down a little bit, as we kind of make it a bite-sized chunk that is somewhat uh, able to be understood, I think it it both demystifies the scariness of it but helps us have a grid for how we move forward. Because I think it's hard to live an empowered life when you feel like everything's out of control, when things are too hard, and I can't even admit that to myself, let alone the people around me, because that's a sign of weakness. So... Hopefully today, we'll move a little bit through that. Sound good? Yes. Who's freaking out so far? No one yet? Oh, just a three. Okay, good. Okay, so we'll, first we started with family, right? Pastor John started this idea of family. He started to talk about it. We've been talking about it for a long time. This, this concept of the reality of kingdom family and this idea that we're all connected There's this spiritual kind of way that we are connected, we are knit together, that we are part of this family of God, with God as the Father, Jesus as the firstborn of the Father, the the co-heir, if you like, beside us, this family that we're included in, um, you know, that despite all of our dysfunction and brokenness, if you were here three weeks ago, you know, we all put up our hands to say there's some level of brokenness and dysfunction in my family. Uh, And so we all, it was this beautiful moment of confession and we all realized that we all knew it, but it was good to say it out loud. (laughs) But we realized that we're all broken, yet God in his grace and mercy creates this family space where we can come in and deal with that stuff. John described it as a family being a place that's created by God to reflect his character and the manifestation of his kingdom and as a vehicle of his grace. The kingdom shows up. People are restored and empowered. His character becomes real of who we are. Because at its core, family is about identity, right? When you're in a family, you've got a name. You know who you are. We get invited into the family business. The kingdom is a family business. And that's what we're trying to get our heads around is that we're all in this together, it's not just the people who are on staff or the elders or those who volunteer in two or more ministries. You know, we're all in this together. We're all family. We find belonging and meaning, we are affirmed and healed and challenged and loved and brought together to a place where we find our fit. Kingdom is all about identity and relationship. And the degree to which we understand who we are in God is really the degree to which we can be empowered and released and have authority as part of his family. He says that, you know, I call you friends because servants and slaves don't know the master's business, but you, you're part of the business now. And When you know the plans of the business, you can be authorized to carry out kingdom business. That's why family is so important, because it gives us an identity. It gives us a place of, of belonging. So then, last week, Pastor Ryan talked about this idea of God's presence, right? Anyone here last week? Anyone watch it online? Man, Ryan was just on fire, right? (laughs) Woo, come on, it was good. It was good for what ails you. If you didn't get to see it yet, get home after this and watch it, because it'll make more sense about what I'm going to talk about. The beauty of God is he can use all these parts together, right? But um, (laughs) Ryan talked about this idea that God's presence is his, his relational closeness. Him being with us, Emmanuel, God with us. We say relational closeness, but also in a tangible, sometimes physical sense as well. God comes and steps into our space. We know he holds it all together by the power of his word. That you know, the, the, the spirit is kind of knitting the world together at its base level. Yet there's these times and moments where God seems to want to show up in the room in a little more obvious ways, right? We see that happening as we become a people who are passionate about making a space for him, about inviting him in, about making God feel welcome. He, I think he honors that and he shows up. And, and Ryan took us through this idea of, of, of presence and dwelling and, and tabernacling, of connecting. And he started us in the garden and he said, so you know, there's God and humanity together with intimacy and openness, no barriers, no, no brokenness, no, nothing getting in between. But it broke, but God was consistently and constantly and determinedly putting places together where we could come back to connect with his presence. He commands them to build the tabernacle, this place where his presence can dwell. And it looked a little bit like Eden. It had a candlestick that looked like a tree. It had angels woven into the the curtains and sitting above the Ark of the Covenant where his presence dwelt. He was kind of bringing us back to this idea that the way we were designed to live was with his presence right with us. He put the tabernacle in the center of the camp of Israel so everyone knew that God was at the center of all that they did. Some years later, he he commands them to build, well, David offers to build the temple in the center of Jerusalem, and the same thing happens only on a much grander and just extravagant scale. God's presence in the center of his people as the focal point. And then Jesus came and The dove or the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, the presence of God descends on him as he begins his ministry. And in him we see something shift and change and this new way of God relating to humanity, which is really the old way of God relating to humanity, is established afresh for us and we're shown what it looks like in Jesus' life. And then as he leaves, he sends the Holy Spirit to his people and then Paul starts to talk about the fact that you, each one of you individually and me, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God's presence. And as a community, you all, all you all, are the presence holders of God. So we've got family identity, we've got presence God with us. And being an empowered people where we're going today is really just taking those two things and putting them together and shaking it up and seeing what life looks like. That's really what it's all about. In family, we learn to be connected. In presence, we learn to partner with God, and out of that, we become empowered. There's something about this relationship with Jesus, right? There's something about it, something about it that shifts, something about us that changes when we come into relationship with him. There's this kind of deep level mystery knitting together in Ephesians, it says like a marriage type relationship. When we come to know Christ, something shifts, something happens, something changes in us. In John 14, John records Jesus saying, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, says Jesus, my Father and I will come and we will make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. There's this idea that Jesus is presenting to us at the end of John's gospel that there's this this coming together of us and God. There's this, he's going to come and make his home with us. Those Greek little words there, those little prepositions are really kind of ambiguous. It could be in, with, near, on. It's just, but his idea is that I'm coming and the Father and I are going to be there and we're we're going to make a home with you. Like the Son came and made a home on the earth, so the Father and Son will come and make a home in you. There's this living inside sense of God, right? So it happens when we say yes to Jesus. Everyone everyone tracking with that? Good gospel basics. But there's something else that happens. So, so, well, there's this living inside sense. John picks it up a little bit later in his gospel, chapter 20. If you've got it, you can turn there. John 20. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were because they were afraid of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw it was the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, for, forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Holy Spirit comes into their lives as a witness of what Jesus has done for them. This is after the resurrection. This is after the new way has been made through the flesh of Jesus and the veil was torn open, as, as Ryan talked about last week. This is the new creation space. He breathed on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is how the Father and Jesus come and make their home with us through the Holy Spirit. But then, and this is another familiar passage to you, I hope, at Pentecost it kind of shifts, right? So the picture of the disciples in John 20 is they're hiding and afraid, they have no confidence, they're terrified of being persecuted by the Jews they know what's happened is something different and it's going to be volatile to the powers that be. Things are happening and so they're afraid but Jesus comes and gives them that marker that says I am dwelling with you. The God living on the inside moment. But as we go to Acts chapter 2 just a few pages later something shifts. We're going to read from Acts 2, 1 to 4 and then pick up a little bit later in that chapter. When the day of Pentecost arrived They, being the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Similar kind of picture. But Jesus had already breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is now after Jesus has ascended. This is sometime later, at least 10 days later. We get a different picture. If we pick up in in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Now, when the people listening heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? souls John chapter 20 small group of people terrified for their lives in a locked room Jesus shows up breathes receives the Holy Spirit forgive sins and yours will be forgiven of you sometime a week or two later same group of people maybe a few more praying waiting doing as they were told Fire falls, the Holy Spirit comes, they start to speak in languages they didn't know before. They step out of the room into the marketplace, and 3,000 people were saved. Nothing much had shifted. This wasn't 20 years later. The Jews were still angry at them, but something shifted. The Holy Spirit came. The same spirit that was there for the witness of salvation and God's presence for the individual had become the external witness through power and the presence of God and it started to shift things in people's lives. A city that was full of religious tourists basically who had come from all around for this special day had come to the city. The city was bursting at the seams and the Fearful disciples step out because of what God has just done and start to say, you know what, the only way that this is going to work, the only way you're going to find life is through this Jesus. What do you say? And 3,000 people respond. So the shorthand way that we use to say this is that the Holy Spirit came upon them, came into them for them, but he came upon them for others. And that's how it works for us. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us so that we know that we are saved. But there's these times and these places, there's this idea that the Holy Spirit wants to rest upon us for others. So when we say we want to, we want to see our city transformed for God, that's not just the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, but as he dwells upon us, he empowers us to be his witness. And the work of 120 people, And the 12 and Peter standing up and declaring the goodness of God to anyone who would listen means that 3,000 in a moment are saved. 10 days early, they felt disempowered, terrified. And when the presence of God came and rested upon them, 3,000 people got saved. Does that challenge you? Does that confront you? It freaks me out. (laughs) It's much easier preaching to you guys because I know that at some level you're in on this. (laughs) But going out there is terrifying. But I can't do it in myself. But when the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon us, empowers us for God's work, something shifts. And I love the picture too in Acts, that little bit in between that I didn't read out. what it looks like is All of these people from all over the the known world pretty much at the time had come to Jerusalem. All the the God-fearing Jews had come in for the festival and so there's people and there's a massive list of nations that they've come from. And they all heard the good news of Jesus in their own language. At some level, it became personal. At some level, it spoke directly to them. And I think what the the invitation is for us is that we don't have to worry about speaking to 3,000 at once, but we worry about speaking to one at a time to connect with them. And the multiplication effect of like 700 people in a room, all empowered by the Holy Spirit, all walking up to one or two people and saying, hey, look, I see you and I know you. And did you know that God has a plan for your life and that he loves you? And you don't have to live in fear and failure and worry and anxiety and concern and disempowerment. You don't have to do that. If we all did that, then like 3,000 would be saved right we've got about 20 who are keen it's going to take us a lot longer if you don't all get on board (laughs) but this is the picture because it's family right it's relationship it starts in connection kingdom is family God existed in family before time begun and we're invited into that and that's how this thing works most effectively. Multiplication comes when I stop for one and I stop for another and the one I stop for stops for one and they stop for another and it starts to spread and grow. It's actually not too hard. Come on. If you can stop and love one, that's all it really takes. And if we all stop and love one and tell them how to love another... 3000. Boom. Because it's not about the numbers, it's about the relationships, right? It's all about relationship. The more I think about this, the more I dwell on it, the more I focus on it, the more I think about it and pray about it, it all comes down to relationship. It all comes down to relationship. God existed in relationship before he created the world. He calls us to be in relationship with him. The brokenness comes when relationship is broken and the healing comes when we are restored into relationship. And what I think is really cool, what inspires me the most in all of this, right, the thing that actually really lights a fire in me is that this isn't new for us. This isn't like something that we've suddenly gone, oh my goodness, God's done something entirely new that we've never thought of before. What gives me confidence and assurance is that this isn't brand new. What we're seeing happen in our midst, it's been happening for 2,000 years. It started at Pentecost. When we start to believe what he said, we start to just simply obey. All that Bible stuff starts to happen. All the the healing and the deliverance and the freedom and the joy and the life and the salvation all starts to happen when people just say yes to the Holy Spirit. Last week, Ryan talked about the the Welsh Revival, right? Back in in 1904. I love the stories of the Welsh Revival, just what happened. But, you know, like, I love history. I love church history. And so I just love to read this stuff. And and a, a movement that excites me even more... Because it's kind of, for me, it's a little bit kind of more, I can get my head around it. In the 1700s, there was this bunch of people in Germany who just loved Jesus. And they read in the word that if you pray, stuff happens. And so they started a prayer meeting. 1726, I think, a little while ago. A bunch of people in a little town in Germany, and that prayer meeting started and it actually didn't stop. They prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For over a hundred years, you're like, I can't do that, (laughs) Like, I can't do that, (laughs) correct, we can't. But do you know that they became one of the most powerful missionary sending movements known in history up until about YWAM. (laughs) But the community never really got above two or three hundred people. But as they just decided to pray, these Moravians they were called, they just decided to pray And they were faithful in their prayer and they invited more to come and pray and they took turns so that they were always praying. And as people prayed and connected with God, the Holy Spirit empowered them and convicted them and compelled them to step out and they spread around the world. It's because someone said, hey, we should probably pray. (laughs) Not difficult, right? But the multiplication impact of just people being obedient, humbly doing small things one person at a time, one missionary going, God, I think God's called me here. The obedience transforms lives. See, what's cool is you don't know, and this is really why I love the history part, you don't know the impact you have as you journey. God's been convicting me and encouraging me with this constantly that the little conversations, the moments you take with people, the things that you do where you just show the natural you that comes out of intimacy with God has such an impact that you just may have no idea about it. So this bunch of of Germans who prayed for 100 years, less than 10 years after they'd started, a group was uh, was, was sailing across to the States from Europe. And John Wesley was on the boat. And the boat hit this massive storm. And everyone on the boat is freaking out, like losing their deal, like we're gonna die, like if you've read the story of Jonah, like that kind of thing. (laughs) Who do we chuck overboard to deal with this problem? And John Wesley is just, he doesn't know what to do. And he goes below deck and he sees this group of Moravians who are just praying and singing. Calm. Peaceful. Just a a small bunch of them just saying, "We, we choose not to be afraid of the earth because we have a big God. And so some years later... They got through the storm in that moment, but then some years later, he's reminded of this and he goes to a prayer meeting held back in England with these Moravians. He says, oh, I should go and check it out. I remember what they were like, that horrible night on the boat. And he walks into that place and he is touched by the Holy Spirit. He is just undone. Uh, We talked about it last week. This love was shed abroad in his heart. His heart was strangely warmed and the presence of God touched him. And then he and his brother began the Methodist movement, which some of us here today have been blessed by, have grown up in that place and met Jesus in the Methodist church. It started because just a couple of people were praying on a boat and chose not to be afraid, but chose to be bold. About 100 years after the Methodists started up, there was this couple in London who loved Jesus and had been listening to the teachings of the Wesleys. A guy called William Booth. And he's living in the, in the East End of London and sees the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the undesirables and the alcoholics and says, oh, look, no one's loving them. The church doesn't make them feel welcome. Maybe we could go and look after them. And so they start the Salvation Army because they read some teachings of this guy who saw a bunch of Germans praying, who felt just to be obedient and start a prayer meeting. Small little moments that just roll and roll and multiply and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And after that, we get to the revivals, the Welsh Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, just over a century ago. Who just follow on and you see the effect of simple obedience in small ways, being humble and connected to God starts to multiply and multiply and multiply. As a friend of mine likes to say, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> it's not too hard. Yeah, Evan Roberts, the, the guy who led in the Welsh revival that Ryan was talking about last week, he just had a, a few simple things and says, This is how revival happens. It's, if you want to see it happen, it's really simple. Four things confess your sin. Check, we're good at that, right? We can confess our sin. Repent and restore relationship. I think we do that all right. Publicly confess Christ. Yeah, I think we're pretty good with that. Be obedient to God and surrender to the Holy Spirit. I think all the ingredients are there. And I think as we are invited to just continue to repent and to love and to surrender to Holy Spirit and to tell people about who Jesus is, then what we're seeing in our midst is only going to multiply. These are just some of the stories. These are just some of the things from one stream. And this has happened around the globe for thousands of years now. People like you and me, knowing who they are, knowing that God's real, going, God, would you empower me? And just loving people one at a time. Loving those you're with. Now, I'm writing a paper on church history at the moment about the beginnings of the vineyard movement, a, a church denomination that started in the mid 70s. And they had this amazing time where kind of like revival happened in about a three or four month period. They had about 1500 people give their lives to Jesus in 1980. That's, that's a lot, right? <laughs> Whew. And, and they trace it back to this one moment. And this one young guy who came and was asked to preach on the night of Mother's Day in 1980 and he shared his testimony and I've listened to it. It was okay. It's great. He kind of waffles a bit. Then he shares a scripture passage. Then he prays a simple prayer, Come Holy Spirit. And what happened out of that moment, all of the people who were there, they didn't like it. It was messy and a bit weird and they weren't used to it. Probably not as weird as what we've seen God do in this place. And yet the simple act of going, God, if this is you, then we want to partner with you and we will just one at a time love people started to transform that whole area and started a movement. And this guy, he he quoted one scripture as he talked about being an empowered people filled with the spirit, displaying his fruit and using his gifts, seeing God's kingdom break in. And he just read out of Isaiah. Starts in 59 and goes through to a little bit of chapter 60. And Isaiah says this as God's people are being returned back to God. He says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Spirit and the word are right there. And then he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. As his light has risen and shines through you, they'll come to your light and mine. The nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because of the abundance of the sea, that's the peoples, shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation, that's the people, shall come to you. So, this guy in 1980 read that scripture. Then he says this. I'm going to quote him. Now, notice how the scripture says, arise. It says, get up. Get up. Make yourself available. I think that the word for today is availability. I've heard the Spirit of God say that availability, I'll use anyone. Now, if you've got a complex about that and you say, Lord, you can't use me, I'm nothing. You know what, it's hard to get up and talk. But every time that you have an opportunity to share the Lord, remember it's not by your strength. It's not by might or by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. If he can speak through a donkey, he can use you. God can use anyone. He's looking for willing, available people. That's it. It's really not that hard. People who aren't too proud to think they can do it all themselves. People who aren't so busy that they don't have time to listen. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to know how to fix everything. All you have to know how to do is say yes. And God will sort out the rest. When his presence shows up, he deals with our sin and our brokenness. When we're in community, he helps us to be loved. We just need to turn to him and declare out his goodness. So I invite the band to come on and start. Would you guys stand to your feet? And I want to read you a scripture, and then I feel like there's just a couple of things that the Lord's inviting us to today. John began this series with a a passage from Ephesians, and I believe that's, that's the promise that we need to stand on and take a hold of. Out of Ephesians 3... And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Not just so you know, but so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. God wants you to know His love. He wants you to be filled with the fullness. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, Contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.